Hello and welcome to QIC's QPod Investor Podcast Series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each Monday we open the Liquid Markets Group Financial Markets Meeting to our audience to discuss the current market conditions. Stu, we might kick off with you. Whilst we normally start with a global COVID-19 update, this morning I thought we could start by discussing the asset market performances and themes from last week given there were some historical unemployment updates that occurred over the weekend. And what might also be emerging for this week ahead? Can I hand over to you to start the meeting? Sure. Thanks, Craig. Uh, yeah, solid week for Wall Street last week with the S&P 500 up 3.5% and NASDAQ up 6%. Uh, although strong performance wasn't universal with uh, Europe in particular lagging. There's still a very clear divergence between the performance of the real economy and that of risk assets, which is, of course, underpinned by incredible amounts of both fiscal and monetary stimulus. I don't think there's been a time where investors have looked forward more than they are now, looking forward to a time when restrictions have eased and the economy can get back to some sort of normal. Um, But, you know, of course, at the moment, we've also got risk assets supported by fairly conservative positioning with um, investors, uh, I guess, less position in risk assets than they were and and also a fairly abundant amount of cash and the returns in stocks are dragging people back in to participate in the market. But other positive catalysts over the last week in particular were lower US rates at the short end, higher energy prices, some positive talk of a vaccine, particularly out of Moderna, Um, ongoing talk of easing of restrictions and there's quite a few US states that are going through that this week and also perceptions of that US-China trade deal being on track. So all of that's combined to have a a fairly positive performance for the market over the past week. And Stu, you did delve a little bit into then on COVID-19. Is there any particular domestic or global updates that uh, would be of interest to the audience uh, over the weekend? Yeah, of course. You know, on Friday, we saw Prime Minister Scott Morrison outline the three-step plan to move to what he calls a COVID-safe economy by July this year or in July this year. Um, Step one, which we've already seen take place in Queensland, that's gatherings up to 10 people. Step two is up to 20 with a return to community sport, uh, cinemas, museums. And then step three is um, much more open, gatherings up to 100 people. So the states are in control of the timing there. And it's interesting press conference that he had. He's he's still dodging around questions on whether the JobKeeper program is going to be amended early. But there's also a very clear determination to keep on moving forwards um, and easing restrictions, not take a step back. He he talks about the emu and the kangaroo only being able to move forward. So um, he, he acknowledges there's going to be outbreaks and it's really just about responding quickly and ensuring that health services aren't stressed by that at all. So we won't we won't see it er- eradicated, but um, but it's really, you know, staying on top of things and allowing things to open as well. And internationally, you know, we're now over 4 million infections globally. Uh, It's taken 12 days to move from 3 million to 4 million, which is the same as what it took from two to three. Um, Growing number of cases in the Americas, particularly uh, places like Brazil, uh, in the Middle East and also um, Asia, India is 
one case to look at there. You know, the UK has just overtaken Italy into third place with over 219,000 cases. And we've seen Boris Johnson announce overnight a phased easing of restrictions there starting on Wednesday. Um, I feel a lot more comfortable with the easing of restrictions in Australia rather than the UK. But Russia is going to leapfrog both Italy and the UK in coming days uh, and then leapfrog Spain as well into second place in about a week. Um, there is talk around how um, Germany and South Korea are finding that they've had to react to fresh outbreaks after their easing of restrictions. Um, but, you know, it is fairly conservative. It's not unexpected. Um, and, you know, they'll still be able to maintain their um, their move towards opening up of society and the economy. Thanks, Stu. And I suppose locally on that particular topic with the, the, the sort of isolated fresh outbreaks in Germany and South Korea is that unfortunately in Australia, we still have only got about 4 million people have downloaded the app. So how the government will be able to deal with that as we go into stages two and three where we're well short of the 40% target they had for the nation in terms of downloading that app. So hopefully um, people get a bit more comfortable with their privacy. Um, Bev, we might change gears. Um, last week, we, we had that sort of amazing news with the ADP um, payroll numbers showing, you know, 20,000 people lost their jobs in the US in April. Um, this week, we've had the non-farm payrolls come out. Anything of interest there to be aware of? Yeah, uh, look, I think if you ever wanted any sort of evidence that the market is really looking through data here, um, Friday really gave us an excellent example of that. Um, so 20.5 million um, jobs lost uh, in the month. Um, the unemployment rate rose to 14.7%. Um, you know, these are the largest, you know, readings we've seen since the Great Depression, um, I read, uh, you know, a stat over the weekend that said that 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 job loss in the month is equivalent to the last eight recessions combined. So, you know, the numbers are just extraordinary, um, but you know they were a little bit less than the market expected. Um, and so, you know, we were able to see equities bounce on the day. We were able to see, you know, 10-year yields end up about four basis points higher on the day in, a, in another bear steepening move, which is just, just extraordinary that the market, you know, is is really just looking through this data now and, and looking to the other side, which is what we've been saying, you know, for a few weeks now. I guess, you know, the one interesting or really interesting print um, from it was the average hourly earnings number where um, that, that spiked very sharply higher up to 7.9% year on year um, and you know th that is clearly a result of the change in the composition of work um, work jobs and job losses that occurred during during the month. So, you know, what we saw, um, you know, from the ADP release um, and, and a lot of the indicators beforehand that this is really hitting the service sector hard. Um, so leisure and hospitality um, accounted for one third of the job losses in the month. And obviously those sectors tend to disproportionately employ lower paid workers. Um, and so that's why, you know, on the whole, you know, the, the workers that are left um, are earning more. And, and so average hourly earnings were up very sharply now. No one really thinking that that's a sign of, of what, you know, wage 
growth going forward. Um, but but on the month, you know, that that one stood out. Um, look, I think underneath it all, you know, horrible numbers. I think if anything, it, it looked like some some mis mismeasurement occurred. It's possible that underneath it all, the numbers were a little bit worse. Um, but I think, you know, it's just more of the same of what we're talking about. The, the data's awful. Uh, it's going to be awful. You know, the US is going to take a long time to sort of get back to normal. So these numbers in the US is gonna, are going to look really bad for, for a while. But right now, the market is still digesting those numbers um, very well. Um, the other thing, I guess, to mention late last week, um, we saw that very interesting move in the front end of US rates where the Fed funds contracts for the end of this year actually started trading negative um, and a lot of rumours around the potential for the Fed to lower cash rates into negative territory. That price action um, unwound late on Friday um, and there was a, a Wall Street Journal article over the weekend and also Powell has um, put a, a new speech into the schedule for Wednesday this week. I think market's taking that um, as a, a view that the Fed is going to be pushing back on, on those rumours, um, which is certainly sort of our interpretation last, late last week that we hadn't seen anything from the Fed that would give us any sense that they were heading down this path. Um, so, so that will be, I guess, an interesting thing to look out for uh, later this week. And, I, you know, I guess while we're here, we might as well talk about um, Australian rates and the statement of monetary policy that was released on Friday. Um, you know, as expected, it was not uh, a market mover. I think, you know, a lot of those forecasts had, you know, in broad terms been, you know, um, rumoured or speculated already. So the base case for the RBA is for the economy to um, contract by 10% in the first half of this year uh, and bounce back um, by 4% in the second half, leaving the year as a whole down 6%. Um, they've got the unemployment rate heading to 10% by June, um, but in their base case forecast, it's only a very slow return back down again, so that they've still got the unemployment rate of 7.5% by the end of next year. And, and I guess... You know, we, we spoke about the fact that they were also releasing some scenarios um, in these forecasts for the first time. So they've got a faster recovery and a slower recovery. That's about as detailed as they go in terms of explaining what those two scenarios are. But the faster recovery, which, you know, arguably we are starting to you know, move on to that faster recovery, given, you know, the, 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 the announcements that came out from the government on Friday about opening up the economy, um, they have the economy basically returning to normal um, by the end of next year. So that's definitely something I think that's going to, um, I guess, focus Aussie economist uh, attention over the coming months is, is just how quickly um, we can get back to normal. And, and, you know, I think, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, you know, ex historical experience in the GFC is a really good example of this to show the longer people are unemployed, um, the, the more difficult it is to get them back to work. Um, their skills atrophy, the economy structure changes. Um, so the quicker we can get back, the more likely it is that we do normalise back to normal quicker. And obviously Australia went into this later um, than most places and Australia is coming out of this earlier. Um, you know, notwithstanding the fact that we're going to be watching all these reinfection rates and and, and what, what, what those infection rates do now that we're opening up. But, you know, Australia is certainly coming out of this. Um, it, it appears um, much better than, than 
than many economies, including um, the US. And just on that, um, Australian 10-year yields this morning uh, are just hitting a six-week high. You know, they're still pretty low and, and volatility, which we've been talking about, is still incredibly low generally in bond markets. But we are continuing to see signs of that, that sort of modest bear steepening coming through and, and coming through in Australia as well. Hey, Bev, just quickly on unemployment. Um, I was reading some of the weekend as well around the participation rates and how that's probably one of the factors that's not being considered in some of these uh, stats that are coming out. So is the unemployment uh, actually worse given those um, higher non-participating rates or is that something you're, you're seeing as being factored as part of these forecasts? Yeah, so on that, so in the US, for example, there was some some um, analysis to suggest that some of the people who were counted as unemployed as employed were not actually employed um, because of the, the the definition of if you're not at your employer um, or you're not physically there because of illness, um, you're still counted as employed. Um, but I think they're thinking that up to maybe five percent, the unemployment rate could have been five percent higher um, if those people had actually been counted as unemployed because of the coronavirus. So, yeah, look, I, I think, you know, the, the and we've been talking about, again, this is a very different recession in that it, it, it's, it, you know, there's a demand hit that's happening here, but there's also a supply hit and there's a supply hit to the labour market too um, in, in that, you know, participation rates are going down, people are out of the labour market. They're they're either temporarily out, they're leaving, or, or they're not, um, you know, looking for work. So it, it's a complex um, picture in terms of the you know little bits of the moving parts of the employment picture. But you know the other interesting stat for me was that um, you know we get the payrolls um, survey, and, and that's what we got on Friday night. But we also get the household survey on Friday night as well, and they're people. It's the people themselves who are declaring whether they're employed or not. And and the large proportion of people who describe themselves unemployed um, were describing themselves as temporarily unemployed. Um, and, and so I think there's still, at the moment at least, a lot of confidence um, within the household sector that anyone who has lost their job um, will, will have lost it temporarily. Um, but again, as time goes on, and if that's not the case, then I think you know this becomes quite a different kind of recession than, than what the markets are currently pricing, which is a short, sharp, and then bounce. Thanks, Bev. Great answer. And just quickly, uh, the move index. Uh, any uh, update there? Is that start, is that continuing to stay low given your response there on the ten-year yields being at a six-week high? Yeah. So last week, we you know we spoke about the fact that that had um, come all the way back from that big spike that we saw in March back down to essentially you know back to the lows. Um, it, it did tick a little bit higher on Friday, but you know. You know, there's really no change from last week where you know the volatility that we're seeing in bond markets is is sort of back to very low levels. Thanks, Bev. Paul, we might switch gears, but it's okay to Europe. Um, is there an update on Europe over the weekend? Um, obviously, last week you gave us the interesting update with regards to the German court rulings and some of the feedback the ECB gave with regards to their view on that ruling. Um, any updates to share with the audience? Yeah, um, we also were expecting uh, a report from the European Commission, which was due on Thursday, Craig, but it has been delayed again. Uh, we'll probably not get that until early June now. Uh, I suspect the German court ruling is playing part of that. They want to see how this is going to 
to play out first. But essentially what we've got on Friday instead of the European Commission was actually from the ECOFIN. So these are the Euro Area Finance Ministers. What they've done is they've extended uh, 260-250 billion euro credit lines. Um, thinking back to the old ESM, if you had to tap the ESM to get a credit line, what you had to do was um, agree to a number of very challenging and some might say embarrassing protocols, which uh, essentially you know, the catches, which was, you know, the auditors in the ECB or the EU had to come down to, to Greece to check to make sure they weren't fiddling the books too much and those sort of things. So now what they've done is politically, that's very much a no-go area. And so they've taken all of these um, uh, uh, strings attached and cut them all off. So essentially, you can now tap the ESM up to 2% of your GDP uh, for, for with essentially no strings attached. Quite an interesting uh, PR uh, dynamic here. Pretty much of the four major Italian newspapers, each one of them on Friday and Saturday morning, we're talking about the ESM access with no strings attached. So very strong PR exercise from the Italian nationals as well as um, at the EU level. Um, so this is this is quite interesting. Essentially, they've they've given these funding lines. That's another 40 billion euros to Italy as funding lines. And you can see that right across the board. You know, the essentially the periphery market was between between eight to 15 bips tighter across the board. And essentially that's coming on the back of this. So, um, you know, even though, as we talked about on, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, we have this tussle between European courts of, of uh, justice and the German high court, but essentially what's gonna happen is, you know, the Europeans are gonna, are going to win this out, right? They can't allow that precedent. And I think this Friday's move, um, is a continuation of that. They're moving forward. They're putting together the recovery fund. The EC will do that. Or so the European Commission will come in and recommend the same. And um, so it should underpin that periphery spread and uh, the bid to credit as a whole. Fascinating. Thanks, Paul. Um, Phil, we might uh, go to the other side and uh, of the pond and hit, go to the US in terms of the corporate earnings update. I think last week we are at 60%. Um, where are we now and what was the interesting insights that came out of the latest updates? Yeah, Craig, so we are around, we're getting towards the tail end of reporting season in the US. So we're about 86% through as of Friday. That's for the S&P 500. Um, and really, I guess the themes at a high level have, have continued on that we saw over the prior weeks. Um, and that is, I guess, we, we're getting beats in terms of against consensus. Um, I think that Around 60% of companies are beating consensus on revenue and about 68% are beating on earnings, um, but they're only just beating. So those numbers are, are basically lower than average. Typically on earnings, we would sort of see a, a 70 to 75% of companies beating consensus. Um, so it's, it's been a bit of an uninspiring season on that regard. And certainly from um, the growth dynamic, as we've been saying, it's it, it was always going to be a hit to growth um, in the March quarter. And the blended earnings are down, I think it's 13.5% um, year over year for the quarter. So um, it's best definitely been um, a quarter of weakness, as we would have expected. And we're seeing that across. It, it's interesting in terms of the industries that are um, the results across industries. So you're seeing 
um, I guess the more resilient ones, the likes of utilities, uh, healthcare, consumer staples. So they're growing in the single digits in earnings. So somewhere anywhere from sort of mid single digits to around six or seven percent across those sectors. But the ones that are um, I guess the ones that are more exposed to coronavirus and the containment measures, um, they've been hit significantly. So that materials, industrials, energy, financials, they're all down um, uh, more than 20% year on year. Uh, and then I guess the high level themes are the Q2 is going to be the trough for earnings. Uh, um, and so companies have been pulling their guidance um, and it's all been about shoring up balance sheets. So we've seen that continue on in the US that's meant um, massive supply in the primary markets of, of debt issuance. And in Australia, um, given debt, the debt capital markets essentially been closed apart from some covered bonds, that's more meant an equity issuance over here. Um, yeah, so it's all about shoring up balance sheets. It's about um, reducing CapEx and I guess, trying to minimise the negative free cash flow through this period. Um, so those measures are, are supportive for credit quality um, and, yeah, I guess equity in some to some degree um, bears the pain of that. Uh, and, and then, as Bev said, I think the, the stock market is, is certainly pricing a V-shaped recovery. Um, in the S&P 500, I think it's down now from the pre-crisis peak, it's it's only off 13% given the rally we've had um, over the last, say, five or six weeks. So it's definitely pricing for a V-shape uh, and, and very much priced to perfection in that regard in stocks. Thanks, Phil. Richie, uh, just with regards to macro, so we started this conversation with the update from Stu around the asset market performance and the COVID update. Things are looking more positive. We've then had sort of feel, you know, I suppose – reasserting this shoring up our balance sheets. How does the, the macro world when it comes to credit look at the moment with that backdrop? Yeah, so, um, you know, the broader markets, as with the broader markets, you know, weak payrolls um, really didn't affect um, the strong investor sentiment in credit. So synthetic indices, um, as well as cash, all traded stronger on Friday night. Um, more of the front end credit continued to rally um, and the back end was you know a little softer just with you know the heavy um, supply that we've seen hitting the market more more recently, and and switching to issuance that's you know as um, Phil alluded to that's a pretty important um, thing to just focus on in the market currently and you know on Friday we had um, nine USIG issuers bringing 17 billion dollars um, of issuance to the market and still really really strong demand there. Um, and that took the weekly total to 93 billion, and that's one of the strongest weeks ever. And this was after um, an April with 296.6 billion, and that's the, an all-time record for issuance. And so now IG issuance in in the US is running at double the pace of last year at 900 billion. And you know, as as I guess we've talked about previously, the Fed, you know, a big reason for for this issuance and um, for, for corporates, um, you know, taking advantage of this liquidity is the Fed announcing they'll buy IG and, and fallen angel credit. And it's really solved one of the real issues in this crisis, um, and, and that being liquidity and, and the company's ability to get access to it. And remember, liquidity was, you know, a huge concern during the CF, GFC, so that's kind of been circumvented. And this all without the Fed actually even buying uh, an IG bond. Um, and 
this, you know, takes us to sort of the next phase, I guess, and this will be when the Fed actually begins buying. And we know a lot of investors, including non-credit ones, have bought a lot of IG bonds over the last two months. And the market's really expecting the Fed to begin buying shortly and in size. And, you know, it was rumoured the first week of May might be when they started buying. And, you know, we still haven't seen the Fed buy. So I think we believe a small risk from here is for credit investors to get a little impatient with the Fed or the Fed to not buy enough um, to satisfy the market. And this could cause short term volatility. But, as it, but, you know, I think the belief is that the Fed would quickly fix any sort of market perceived policy error and, um, and come back and buy in size um, and for a period of time to the satisfaction of markets. Um, and then the only other thing was really just closer to home. And I think Stu outlined really well the good news that we had on Friday from the Prime Minister announcing a three-stage reopening of the economy. And, you know, an earlier than opening unwind of social distancing um, measure is clearly good for corporate Australia. Uh, you know, sectors such as REITs, toll roads, um, airlines um, that have been hit hardest by the COVID-19 um, would benefit. Um, and then also the banks would benefit too. So an early, early reopening would be positive for banks. So far, you know, major banks have processed more than 200 bill of loan deferrals for businesses and households that um, have been put under pressure by um, this virus and and the you know the financial hardship associated with it so the major banks um with the exception of cba who actually um have give us an update on wednesday so that'll be pretty interesting um have raised around three and a half bill of, of provisions for higher credit losses and also they've raised capital and deferred dividends to help their balance sheet withstand um credit losses from COVID 19. so again an earlier unwind of restriction measures um could really help flatten the bank's um, loss curves here too, Craig. Uh, Richard, just with that $17 billion that was brought to market by those nine IG issuers, um, I, one of the trends I've seen from your recent updates is that most of these tend to get oversubscribed. Was that the case with those particular nine issuances? Yeah, yeah, exactly, Craig. So about three to three and a half times on average oversubscription. So, so you know, still highlighting very, very strong demand in the corporate IG market in the U.S., Wonderful. Um, and thanks for that update on the possible vol um, uh, from those uh, credit investors being a little spooked potentially. Um, Pat, we might just refer now to single name credit. Any particular updates that uh, would be of interest for the audience to be aware of? Um, yeah, sure. A couple from an Australian perspective this morning. So we have Intertech Pivot releasing their first half results um, alongside an announcement for a capital raising as well, which will obviously be very positive for credit investors. So Intertech um, they're seeing their earnings up on the, the first half 19, although you have to sort of take that in context. Their first half earnings in 2019 were down, impacted by some heavy one-off items. But um, nonetheless, a decent set of results and the capital raising of, uh, I think, $600 million um, will help take the pressure off their ratings, which were on negative from both um, S&P and Moody's. Um, the other one to note is probably Woolworths. So they're conducting some investor calls today as part of a mandate for a potential five-year Australian dollar deal. So this would be the first corporate issuance in Australia um, since the primary markets closed. So one to, to closely watch. Wonderful. Thanks, Pat. Uh, we might go back up 
to the macro level, Rob, um, and with regards to volatility across the equity and the energy market, but also it would be great to get an update from you as well with regards to the commodity space. Thanks, Craig. Uh, I guess in, Stu sort of covered it off at the, at the beginning. It was a pretty positive uh, week for equities, and um, Friday night was particularly bad for, I guess, um, long volatility. We saw the short end of the VIX sort of sell off about three and a half, four points, which is pretty, uh, pretty large. The longer tenor didn't come off as much, but it, uh, we've almost we've gone back to the normal upwardly sloping uh, VIX curve, albeit at the sort of 30 vol uh, mark. In terms of the commodities, um, WTI had a strong rally of about $1.50 on Friday night, and that's really off the back of uh, supply being cut either through market-driven forces in the case of the US shale and then also the OPEC cuts um, the sort of being prescribed vol still trading in WTI at around about 92 percent so still very high. Um, probably another interesting uh, thing or another interesting thing to note would be the recovery I guess of base metals and that's I think really um, coming off the back of the economic um, outlook. And so you've th- seen commodities such as copper and nickel perform strongly since um, the the equity market sort of bottomed, at least in the short term, in the middle of March. Probably one that has lagged a bit has been aluminium, which is typically quite correlated with uh, copper. And that's really just through a drop in or a lack of uh, drop in productions. Thanks, Rob. Uh, any other final comments uh, from the team before we wrap it up? Yeah, just in um, in conclusion, you know, there's a lot of information there, but just in conclusion of the fixed income view, essentially coming into the crisis, we were very much focused on, on, on a lot of barbelling of our strategy. So what I mean by that was we were focused on high quality credits that we knew in a crisis would be money good and continue to pay. We, we haven't shifted from that. Um, the only difference is we had a lot of interest rate exposure to protect us in sort of crisis, and that's exactly what happened in March. So now we're quite positive on credit. You can see that in the papers that we've written. We are a bit more cautious on interest rates, which I think is very much the, an interesting point. Now, the third sort of aspect of that was we've removed a lot of our hedges, sort of more the disaster hedges, which is the other side of the barbell. And what we're looking to do, we're going to be scarring the market over the weeks and months to come in order to reset those opportunities, which I think is going to be quite interesting because, you know, as Rob said there, there's a lot of positivity coming through the market. Balls are dropping quite heavily. And so that will provide opportunities to get reset for any potential hiccups here, given how well things are being priced at the moment. Fantastic. Thanks, Paul, for that. And thanks, everyone, for your great comments today. Thank you also to our audience for listening in. If you have any questions, please reach out to your QIC Relationship Manager or go to qic.com.au. Please look out for our next upcoming podcast and have a wonderful day.